Hi, I'm Glyn Fussell, and this is We Can Be Heroes. How does it feel being not only a community leader, because obviously that's how we know each other through our, well, we know each other from growing up a long time together, but we, you know, we formed this amazing thing, Sing the Pink. But you being a community leader has been this constant in your life. And now here you are on the dawn of Margate Pride, you know, this huge event that you've created. How do you live in a town where everyone sees you as the community leader? Is that an immense amount of pressure? I don't see myself as a leader. Do you know what? It's only the last year, really, where I've gone, oh, actually, you know how I've always downplayed, I do that really British self-deprecation thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm just silly. Oh, you're the oh, queen it's part of, that. of the team. Like, put myself, oh, but it's about the team, which it is, of course. But, I mean, let's, I, I, can, I can proudly say I have given my heart and soul to making this pride in this town as magical as it is for we're heading into year nine. You know, it's like, I have given, yeah, I am a leader of it now and I can say that with confidence. Yeah. Um, how does it feel? It feels right. It feels like this town was a pretty depressed, homophobic, racist place when I moved back here um, 10 or 12 years ago and everything in my soul needed to start this pride. It needed to start LGBTQ youth groups. It needed to be be part of a change. I can see social change before it happens. Like we're like with Sink the Pink. You can kind of visualize mm. how the town could be. It's like, oh, a rundown old Lido venue in a cliff. Oh, I can imagine, you know, booking queer house party there. And, you know, last year they sold out a massive gig there. And it's like, I could I could see it happening, you know? So that's it feels right. It feels like I'm doing the exact dream thing I should be doing. You've talked about change. I mean, obviously, I, I, I will be there with bells on Margate Pride. Thanks, but babes. You've put Margate on such a different trajectory as a place. And, you know, I'm proud of you for a million reasons, my friend, as a mother, for the work we've done. But when I look at what you've done with Margate Pride, it really does blow my mind. It really blows my mind because, you know, just thinking back to when you were first going to be moving to Margate and I remember coming down with you and you are the queen of wishful thinking. You are everything. <laughs> ultimate optimist, yeah. Yeah, you are. The cup is is not just half half full, it's bubbling over. It's overflowing, yeah. And <laughs> you I, were like, what think, are you doing? <laughs> I remember, honestly, I remember coming with you, looking at Margate and going, what? Are, yeah. are you mad? Are you absolutely mad? So here you are, you know, I'm bringing my friend who's over from LA who wants to come to Margate for Margate Pride. He lives in West Hollywood. And it makes me think change is so possible. Yeah. So how does someone, it's a, this is a massive question, but how does someone create change? Because you have led that change in a, a town. And like I said, you've changed that town. But how, because we all have the ability, don't we, to create yeah, change? we absolutely do. And there's strength in numbers. And I think if you think you're the only one thinking a certain way, you're not. There's so many people, you know, in the early days of Margate Pride, I would go around the shops with a little poster and say, could I put this Pride poster in your window? Obviously, predominantly people were like, yeah, go for it. One lady was genuinely concerned for me and said, don't people throw stones at you? Oh, my God. But I had to sit down and unpick that with her and say, 
no love like let, let's talk she said but in some countries they do don't they and I was like well actually yeah you know in 67 countries in the world it's still illegal to be homosexual so we can talk about that but this town needs a pride and let, we spoke about the reasons why and there were some awful homophobic incidents that I'd read about in newspapers and you know it, it, it wasn't a safe place to be for our community and you're right like why did I move there it's, it's bonkers really but you know, I felt such akin to it. It's so punk and left of centre and weird. I like that about it. It felt like early Hackney to me. And my family are down here and I felt a real connection as a Kentish girl till a sort of like, you know, we'd done such beautiful things in London and we'd made real changes with Sink the Pink. But I felt like once that grew so big that actually it, the people kind of owned it now and it was this beautiful thing that could yeah. fly and that actually my happy place is when things are in their infancy, in that really like dirty, sticky grassroots. floors. You yeah. love the grassroots. Young of people coming along to events, yeah. making banners out of old bits of cardboard, like really low budget is my style. <laughs> and <laughs> and that and I thrive in that space. And like if anyone was gonna lap it up, it was Margate, because anyone who a youth group, yeah, of course we'll all come. Like the people were gagging for it. So it's like once I started the LGBT youth group. And people were coming along. We were using Dreamland every week to run our group. And we had like the roller disco. And I got Lisa from GB Pizza to give us free pizza. And I just, you know, I did what I do, which is just pull all the strings and bring members of our community down. You came down and spoke to the young people. And I believe that change starts young. So talking to young people that maybe had they grown up in Margate without a positive pride and influence of, of wonderful queer people walking through their streets, they might have... Left, gone to London, taken them, you know, quite a good few years to shake off the sort of the homophobia that their town had sort of, that they'd experienced. Essentially, I want to save people having to do years of therapy <laughs> by uh, starting young and going, hey, look, here's some positive examples. Here's a, here's a march that can walk through your town and you will see all aspects of our beautiful rainbow family. And that's where the change starts because then it filters out. So they're dad might come with them or like the week after pride last year i overheard a builder saying to the, his other builder mate oh yeah it was margate pride at the weekend and i was like leaning in to hear what the other one would say wow. and he went yeah i went with my daughter and her girlfriend it was great and it was like oh the joy because that gives them the opportunity to be proud of their daughter but also to to just normalize that a pride is a wonderful exactly. thing that we should all be going to i mean you have to see change happening to believe it's possible right totally yeah I mean I I am um, I didn't really realize how much my mum's sort of yoga hippie stuff had sunk in but that real visualizing you know see it you can be it stuff is so true I could see this town I could see the parade going down past Turner with all the rainbows and the sparkly light on the ocean like and and what happens when you have a beautiful experience like that is that it lives on through the rest of the year. So our pride is the second weekend of August every year, but its magic lives on. Like people leave their rainbows up in their shop windows and there's there's a long-term impact of change. It's not just one day a year. It's, oh, Margate Pride's awesome. You should come here. Or people who met their partner at Margate Pride and have now moved here and opened a gay bar together and had a baby together. And like the ripple effect... Do you know what? There's so many parallels with Sink the Pink where we used to say, "Yeah, you don't know, you know, you'll meet someone in New York who met their boyfriend, at, you know, these crazy, like wild stories that are based on a thing that you founded. 
It's incredible. It's the same with Margate it's, Pride. It's this like power change. When you start making those changes, is that you realise you have a power to change the cultural landscape of a place. You know, we did that for a part of London and, and yeah. a big part of London. And you're doing that um, in Margate Pride, which we should say is this weekend coming. Yep. And um, I want to know, you talked about the ripple effect that you've seen in the town I, I've definitely, when I've come down to Margate, I love coming down now because it feels like a queer town, 365 really days of the year. Yeah. So what are those What are those human stories that you've seen that have been of change that you can, can relate back to Pride? Yeah, well, that's a great example, actually, of um, Jess and Sophie who met at Margate Pride, you know, Londoners visiting, met at Margate Pride, got it on, just fell in love with Margate moved down, opened a gay bar on North Down Road, which, you know, it's like, I mean, it's turning into feeling like early Kingsland Road, but it's it's your, it's your classic pound shop kind of road. And now there's Anything is be- possible. beautiful gay bar there and they're doing such exciting stuff. And like that, they've had a baby. Their parents have now moved here actually to be closer to them. Like the ripple effect. And that's just one example. There's just on Dolby Square, there's now a gay r- uh, run hotel that's just opened. Wow. Um, it's just like it's all it's all my dreams come true because I can't well, I could see it before any of them were here. You know, I used to if there was one creative person walking down the street in Margate, I'd run over the road and be like, "Hi, are you new?" Because there was there were so few of us. You know, there was like Dan Chilcott who I originally started Pride with all those years ago, and Bob. But you know, it was it was pretty low numbers in the queer sense. But yeah, I we visualized it and. It really and has, also you're you're a mecca. It. You're a mecca to that. I guess we should say that at college you were called the coming out service. Yes, I was. <laughs> and actually, this is a great Let's story. Discuss. So one of my my one of my first boyfriends, who is now in cats, <laughs> he, he um <laughs> went, and when we went on our little like first date at uni and, and we had a little kiss and I said to him, I think you like boys. And he said, I don't, I like you. And I said, Well, there's a thin line, babes. <laughs> I'm basically a gay man. <laughs> I'm a drag queen. And I helped him come out. And he had his hen do at Margate Arts Club, which is a venue oh, that I run in Margate. With all his gang. They're all musical theatre people and a lot of people from my old uni. And it was just this beautiful, like, you know, full circle experience because he was in full drag. Like, he's now in Cats. Like, he <laughs> couldn't be gayer. And I'm so proud to have been part of his journey. And, yeah, I suppose I am a sort of safety net coming out service that, that you know, like a beacon of this is a safe space. You know, I will like urgently fight for safe spaces for queer people. It's like in my soul and my whole being. And that comes from my roots with you and Jacob and Sink the Pink. And just actually who I am in my soul will not. So we'll this dissect is my that work for forever. Dissect, dissect Amy Zing or Amy Redmond, as you were formerly known yeah. in previous life. <laughs> dissect because there's a lot of people that campaign or activists or that put on events but what is it about you have you ever looked at that and gone what is it about me that means that I because you don't just create safe spaces you are the facilitator you are the the you know the Lord Mayoress of Margate (laughs) and but you you more than that you are a magnet for self-expression homosexuality and drag queens why you (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I um, don't feel. It feels weird answering it because I don't. There isn't. Well, you're on. Not, you're on the podcast. You have I'm to. I'm on the podcast. I'll try. 
there's not a formula, is there? It literally is who I am. Like it's not, it's not a lie. <laughs> you know, I kind of, I just am those things that you just said. Like I'm so lucky to do the things that feel so right in my soul that I wake up and just, you know, each day is a blessing because I get to do these beautiful things, you know, as well as running Margate Pride. I'm also director of a women's arts festival down here that happens on International Women's Day. And that's in March and Pride's in August. So they're like six months apart. So I've got yeah. this incredible like sort of ecosystem of my Margate life now. Well, I mean, you you know, talking about that, what you do for others. And I feel it's bigger than just giving space because you are the queen. You know, even when we were younger, you have this motherly um quality about you that just they called me mama to, zing before i was a yeah that mom. just wants you to, you've always been that person that just wants to bring out you might see just a flicker of of flamboyancy in someone you bring it out you did that for me i i you know i've said it many times but you in my life have been the most important friend in my life because you changed oh, likewise you changed who i was when i felt a lot of fear i felt a lot of um, I was well, I was just very lost and I knew I wanted to change my life. And so I want to take us back to that that uh, that moment when we first met because I'm, I always think of it in the moment where my life pivoted in a different direction. But I always feel like I get to tell the story of Sink the Pink and I would love to hear from you about when we first met and then, and then what that voyage was like for you with Sink the Pink, which I guess got us to this point and why we're talking today. Well, thank you so much for everything you just said. Um, it, I, it's it's so mutual and it's so, we're such a perfect double act because all the things that you are, I just want to elevate and you shining gives me such joy and I'm so proud of you. So, yeah, I think it's such a hilarious reason that we first met. So my cousin Jacob and you were probably the only alternative gays in Bristol. Correct. And... He, Jacob was doing his final year video project for his college course and it obviously was a really camp video shoot for like a music video and I was the choreographer of course and he said I've got this guy Glyn who's going to be the other like lead dancer with you and I was like oh fab because um, by then I was at uni in the coming out service sort of, was I though or actually was I yeah, no, than you uni? were. yeah no, I was you first were, year uni were, so I was already you, I think your first year you, you were already you had a line of games I was already whacking him out the closet yeah so <laughs> Then you came along and you were very much already in the Ow. world as a yeah. vibrant homosexual. And I fell in love with you and taught you the silly routine and we got put in silly costumes and silly makeup and did a dance routine that is utterly hilarious and it is on YouTube and everyone should watch because... I, I dare you to find it's it. It's like um, history was foresaw in that moment because obviously we spent the next 20 years of our lives doing silly dance routines and silly costumes and silly makeup. So... We made a job of it, babes, didn't we? We actually, you know, we, but, we both had jobs that we kind of liked-ish, but weren't fulfilling our souls. And then they were we, not. They were not our calling in life. They were I not our say. calling, as a lot of people that were coming to the club late, can relate to that. You know, we we have to do jobs to pay bills. But we had such a great core group of friends that once we started doing parties, they were just so loyal. They would all come, and we would. I think both of our neurodivergent energy would just give them the best party of their lives. Like we cared about every detail. We were like, I'm going to go around with cupcakes at this time because they might be ready for a little snack. Or, okay, at that point, I think fake moustaches would be perfect. We must make bunting <laughs> or, out of all of our old socks. Pants, yeah. 
<laughs> we'll ease them in by making temporary tattoos and getting them to talk to each other. And then actually the impact of that is that people the next day would be like, I remember someone going, I saw someone at a cash point, that dates how long we've been going, who, was, yeah. who had a Sink the Pink tattoo. And, and then I started talking to, talking to them about Sink the Pink and we ended up having a date or whatever. And it's like the impact, even in those days, like the second ever Sink the Pink, Matthew Todd, who was editor of Attitude at that time, came because it was his local gay bar that we were doing it in. And he was like, this is incredible. This is going to change London clubbing. And he did a massive like four page article on how wonderful Sink the Pink was. And we just started. We were that overconfident about what we were, you know, because we just saw it. So similarly, what we were just saying, we could see that what Sink the Pink was providing did not exist. We were actually, we weren't calling it manifestation, but we were, you and I, when I think back about it, and as I've done a lot more kind of spiritual enlightenment work i realize how that you and i were a furnace of manifesting totally we were we were actually brilliant at it because yeah it always we didn't came have true. the language for it we didn't yeah. have social media then we had very early facebook which we'd whack a few photos on but it we was ve- just it was very out of like, the mi- we were just out of myspace, MySpace. Actually, as i recall we my friend still told mates. that your, exactly. my friend told said that story <laughs> the angle of the photos told that story <laughs> and then we'd have our, like top friends which we were of each other's whatever it was that cute era wasn't it where you didn't i literally would text everyone i knew to come come to come doing a party come to it it's called sink the pink and it was i would copy and paste it and text it on my old school like Nokia or whatever. I mean, that's how how long we've been doing clubs, babes. And that really, that energy, yeah. the ripple effect of that would be different now, I think. Because yeah, like you say, we didn't know the word manifestation. We just knew, we saw it, we wrote a list. These are the things that I love in a night out that I currently can't find in the actual real life nightlife. We had it in our bedrooms and in our living rooms at each other's houses, but we hadn't found it in a club. And we fully... We'd had that checklist. I mean, it's probably in one of our sock drawers somewhere. And it really, like, we'd made that come true to the nth degree. Like, we couldn't yeah. we couldn't do any more. I've got a Sink the Pink tattoo on my back. Like, we literally, we lived and breathed it. And I will be, like, the mother of Sink the Pink forever. The memories of Sink the Pink, it's so weird. You know, there'll be, there's been so many interviews, countless interviews that I've done on Sink the Pink. And in the moment, someone will say to you, what's your wildest memory or what's your favorite memory and I, I always think to myself but there are so yeah yeah how do you many that? because it was actually it would be easier to say what was the calmest moment at sink the pink in yeah. that it was a series <laughs> of wild events yeah the calmest sink the pink was the last ever one where you and me locked ourselves in a dressing room and hid because we were so overwhelmed Isn't I mean it was wild? overwhelming everybody wanted to hug us till till our, we, you know, we, we literally no we locked ourselves Locked ourselves in a dressing room. We got in our tracksuits ready to go home because we were just like, (laughs) I can't really process or focus on how wild this is. Yeah, What a perfect send-off that was that it started with just you and I and ended with just you and me sat in our dressing gown. Because I would feel like when I think about the memories of Sink the Pink, for the longest time, part of the joy of it for me was that we did it together. And the evening was just an an accumulation of our wild brains but actually the hours that we spent making ridiculous tabards that said finger me (laughs) and cookies and making awful burnt cookies no offense Ames (laughs) yeah they were terrible decorating it was all about drawing the willy on yeah (laughs) we had their yeah willy cookies you know the the joys of those moments and that camaraderie and friendship and and the dreaming that anything is possible I think that we were always 
thinking it was all of a sudden this amazing portal to what could be any dream was possible because of of course because of that yeah and of course it it fulfilled the dreams of so many people and and you know that's one of my proudest moments that you see people that their lives were transformed much like ours from it yeah and the community meeting their partners finding their best friends you know lifelong friends and yeah it's all in those silly like the seemingly frivolous parts that actually are the deepest, most beautiful bits, the lugging all the drag bags back into a van or all of the, you know, that's how I met my partner. Like literally we found him, didn't we, like running around festivals, found out he was a set designer and said, right, we need one of them. Thought he was gay. We were always, we yeah. were always recruiting. Totally. And then we, got were him, border, like, we were borderline a camp cult. We probably were a cult. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It felt cultish at points. You just doing a rap about omelettes on a microphone at four in the morning and people being like, yeah. Avant-garde. Avant-garde. I deeply agree. <laughs> but we all like, it's it's so fundamentally part of who we are and, and that will never leave us. Like... I think there was such emotion around the whole like ending of Sink the Pink thing. And I, I don't think, I don't feel like it's over. So whenever when people say like past tense, it's like, well, you know, I love the idea of us doing a party in 10, 20 years of like getting the old gang back together. And of course we are all still in each other's lives. It's not like over. You know, this weekend I've got Ross, Jacob, loads of that lot joining me on stage at Dreamland. Like we all have these moments, but I think it was an important time to know when to step back and say, you know, Nightlife evolves and we were such an important part yeah. on that the map of UK nightlife that or global nightlife that it's really good to rest rest a thing and know when to do it when it's still magical and I I do think it came to a beautiful cyclical end for this time like I do I do visualize us all like in, in 10 or 20 years having a reunion and being like wow I think, I mean, I, you know, we've we've spoken about this so honestly and openly, but never publicly, just that come the end, I was, I've, I, it, it very much changed for me because like I just yeah, said to I you know. before, it's something that we started together and then there's this thing called life, right? Yep. Life gets in the way and, yep. you know, you had another life form in, yeah. in your amazing son and which obviously, of course it does. It forces you to have to look at life in a different way yeah. and reevaluate. You know, you cannot be naked with a strap on doing stage dive. Well, you could, but, it, you know. I tried it a few times, yeah. didn't I? Because I would be like breastfeeding at the side of the stage, whacking on the strap on and still carrying on my routine. <laughs> Spraying but- milk. Do you remember that one at Brixton Academy where I sprayed my leaky tit all over the front row? <laughs> And all these baby gays were like, oh, I think <laughs> I like funny. it. <laughs> it's so punk and so genius. But life moves. But yeah, and life. Think, and what was the most wonderful thing for me for with the with the finishing of it was that it concluded, you know, you a go chapter. went off to Margay and then, yeah. you know, I feel like I'm now finally getting a lot of peace because I, mm. you grow up, you know, we started this when you were 27. I think I was 28 and we're obviously just, in our early 30s now <laughs> but you know I'm I'm 43 and I remember just thinking I remember being at that point where I was stood on stage going I am my dad yeah I, this is not I mean, it's not real people in the club it's just not yeah. real and authentic yeah. to me oh so, once it's fake that's yeah, so what was not... that obviously Raf was the moment for you but yeah. do you remember that moment where you went I, I do, can't actually. do this anymore yeah I do I remember once we got to Troxy 
coming to a sink the pink and there was rehearsals happening and I I moved some chairs out the way moved a load of chairs and then the stage manager said to me oh actually we needed them where they were <laughs> and then I sat on the floor and tried to help someone who was fixing a costume and she was like oh I didn't need it like that sorry and I, I kept trying to be helpful in that way that I used to being helpful and every and I realized there was everyone had a job all the jobs I normally did all the jobs and suddenly yeah. there was like there was someone doing all these jobs and I was like, oh, should I go run to the shop and get some rider? Oh no, it's all ordered. The delivery's coming in an hour. And I'd be like, I actually felt like, um, yeah, not useful or not. And I, I'm, I'm used to being so useful that I, I had to, and I remember you saying to me, just put on a fabulous outfit and walk around waving at everyone. Like that is, that is now your job. Like just to be fabulous and, and thank people and just, you know, not... I wasn't used to that and I'm still, I'm getting better at being like, hey, celebrate me. Oh, of yeah, course I have yeah. those moments and I fucking love it. But like predominantly <laughs> my joy comes from like being useful. So what I'd found in moving to Margate was, and in my head, of course, when I moved to Margate, I'd be able to do all my London things still and then just have this whole life there as well. And of course, as you say, life happens and then things evolve and that that journey time started feeling a bit annoying I was doing a couple of days with you guys up and then coming up for gigs and then yeah you don't always want to be driving up and down the Thanet way or sitting on a train and so I kind of of course my life started to evolve and grow down here and me being me of course I started an LGBTQ youth group and a pride and of course I became director of a women's arts festival and you know had a lovely healthy young baby boy that I had to give all my didn't you know, I, 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 in my head, thought I'd just be one of those, like, yeah, just either childcare or, you know, strap him on and, like, go for it, which I did do to an extent, but didn't do the childcare. I had I had this thing of, like, I need my baby on me. Um, yeah. But you don't know this until you do that, right? So, so many things. And I'm so grateful to you for just being there through that process and seeing me and because, basically, Sink the Pink and you are my first baby... I mean to in- infantilize you. You're not a baby, but you're my you're my first. Like we are. I get that. You know, though. We're yeah. siblings slash. You are my child a bit, and I and there were the times yeah. in this in the club era where I was you know paying our bills and caring about you so deeply that well, I could you, see that the no. messy bit was. I always believed in you so much that you know but the I, mess I, was going. I see. Pass. I see that now. I understand what you're saying completely because I see that now, and I go. Because there's no accidents in life, you know, and I think that if it when you when you have such a deep rooted love and a friendship that has changed you, it can never stay in one one lane. But you totally. you have to because you have to live and go off and be truthful and honest. But what it forced me to do is when you stopped doing all the jobs, all of a sudden I realised there were all the jobs to do, and so yeah, I yeah. had to pick up the reins, and it taught me. <laughs> maybe, you know, quite late in my life, but about adulting. And it taught me about a lot of responsibility things. And also made me realise I was very good at that as well. So it's weird you in, 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 are, in the journey. I had every faith you would be, yeah. But in, the, in those journeys, it's really strange that you, you know, nothing is accidental. And then you get to this place where, don't know about you, but there's I have a huge sense of, I'm a lot more rational about my memories and the nostalgia of that moment. It was so big, but was yeah. like a whirlwind, wasn't it, for, yeah, for everyone it really involved? Yeah. And I'm so much more nostalgic about it in a different way where I 
I kind of go, oh, that was why that happened. Yeah. Well, look, I, it I had to, to happen in that giddy way. You know, the, we were the perfect double act. I was so sturdy and reliable. I had a bum bag full of the cash and I went around paying everyone. I made sure the venue didn't hate us. I uploaded the photos to Facebook that night. You know, I was like this cute, nerdy radio producer who... And I stood next to you know, naked, being wild and outrageous. And But of course, there's an extrovert in me as well. So I, was, I would also be up there naked with you. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so first, when I start taking that bunting down, I'll start at that side. And then you would go to an after party meet Jake Shears, end up at Elton's, and then the next month we'd have the Scissor Sisters rap party as the sync of ink theme or something. So you were meeting these people that were toppling us into worlds that really my radar aims, you know, I, don't, I was about to say down, That's not, but my, my radar aims with Steph cleaning up at the end with the bin bags, making sure Jackie's not so wasted that she hasn't f- picked up all her heels. You're still like, doing that. She lives with I'm you still, and Margate. still doing that. <laughs> But that's my happy place. Like that is <laughs> like just checking on everyone's vibe is my happy place. Listen, we, we've we've discussed this at great length, but I find it so fascinating um, how you went from essentially being a drag mother to a real mother and those similarities. So let's talk about that because that yeah. is, I job. feel like, well, and I feel like it, it took, until Raph got a little bit older for you to have that clanger moment where you go, wow, they're the same job. This was the training for it. And event production, you know, because it is essentially everyday parenting is is managing is managing talent, actually, which I had pre- been pre-prepared for from working at Radio 1, where I was looking after, you know, presenters that, you know, needed parenting essentially sometimes. <laughs> so I had, I've been well trained in like, you know, the ego and the democratic approach to how how to look after. So drag queens, we know I was brilliant at dealing with because, well, A, I love love them, love our community, but B, like just like the, the chaos is where I thrive, which I think a lot of people would be put off by. But again, that's an ADHD trait, isn't it? Being able to be brilliant in chaotic situations. Yeah, like, almost I needing it. I feel completely at ease when I've thrown a drag queen in a Zorb ball and heels across a nightclub. And that then happened. there's like 5,000 naked people on the stage, but we were told there was no nudity allowed in this certain club. And then like the sound system got covered in beer. So we just got everyone singing Share Believe. That and happened. Everything goes wrong. and, and but, but it's never wrong. For me, that's the magic. Yeah, it's and exactly so, magic. Like, and it's 4am and no one's, you know, eaten. All we've done is drink all the drinks tokens. And, you know, all the chaos is my happy place. So, oh, I got so giddy thinking about that. I forgot what the question was. The- <laughs> oh, yeah, the baby thing. Back to it. Yeah, baby. So, yeah. In a drag mother and a, and a real mother. A so, yeah, all mother. of, in fact, the, the all of that chaos, I could explain very similar things that happen in one day with the kids. So, yeah, we're, we're on our way somewhere, but, oh, you've just pooed yourself. Okay, great. So we, we, need, we need an outfit change. And then, you know, some other dramatic thing goes wrong. I really don't like that spoon. Okay, mate, right, I'll get you another spoon. Like It's like dealing with those kind of ludicrous moments of really similar. One time at four in the morning, he said to me, Mummy, we need more capes. <laughs> and I was like, I swear Glenn has said that to me at 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> like in a past life. <laughs> and then like oh taking God, off a nappy genius. and getting pissed on. And then remembering all those, you know, there's a million piss stories in our lives. But one particular yeah. one is when Mar Butcher handed me a pint of his own piss at the side of the stage. And it was like there wasn't anywhere for him to put the piss and he needed to go on. And it was like cool okay I'll take it and it was just this really hot pint of piss and it was like the 
<laughs> the level of trust and drag mothering that's like next level but of course you know I've had, as a parent now of a, of a small human I get a lot of piss in cups in fact he pissed in a cup at my dad's house my dad's got these like crystal glasses that he has a nice whiskey in and I went in the room and I was like all right grandpa having a little whiskey but actually my two-year-old at the time had picked up this posh glass pissed in it and put it back on my dad's cabinet (laughs) and I was like mate lucky I came in and checked it really is exactly the same as the the night I was saying the the thing (laughs) do you know what this isn't I wasn't gonna ask you this but you just made me think about Everything that's happening in the world right now, and you're in this perfect, um, you're in this perfect position where you're a mother, but you're also a drag mother still. And obviously, we look at what's happening politically and culturally happening at the moment with all these drag story times being banned, and the, and the, you know, the books being banned from libraries. And what's your first-hand experience of that being seen as a danger to kids? Yeah, yeah. It's it's so important that we talk about this. It's it's wild to me that anyone would see a drag queen as a dangerous thing for a child. You know, it's it's illogical. It's it's the most the most beautiful and free person you can find is a drag queen. You know, they've they've found who they are. They often are releasing their own inner child because of the journey they've had to go through. You know, let's not forget n- we're not even a generation away from the, the Thatcher years, you know, the really awful times in this country and around the world where it was not okay to talk about being gay in schools. It was not, you know, so we, we're this generation who are able to say, look how fabulous, you know, very often a drag queen that chooses to do drag queen story time is often also a teacher or a dance teacher or a, like there, you, you probably wouldn't get, you know, a really, in the same way you wouldn't get, well, maybe you would, but like different, you often have job choices that align with your drag choices as well. So like we have a drag queen around here that does drag story time and is the perfect person to be reading stories to children. So people book him for kids parties around here. And, you know, it's such a beautiful addition to any kid event is to have a drag queen there. My son can tell you what non-binary means since since he was like three. In fact, he pronounces it bonbinary, which is the cutest thing in the world. And it's like, it's so obvious and clear to children that a, a human living their freest and truest self is right and natural. And the reason that that gets unpicked in adulthood is the systems of oppression that we live within that filter through the fear, the like dumbing down the newspapers that are just feeding this drip, feeding this information that that's not right, that's wrong, that's perverse, that's sexual. Are you kidding me? That is not a sexual act to read a book to a child. Like, why are you even putting that in the same? That's coming from you, mate. Like, none of that is real. That's your stuff. Leave us alone. So... Obviously, I feel massively passionate about this. So our pride happens in a oval bandstand, which is this old Victorian bandstand in Margate that in the daytime element, we have all these, yeah, exactly that, kids' story times, rainbow boogie dance class, all these cute, Dr. Ronks is coming to read their book, lots of lovely family-friendly stuff. And then we have um, Mix Margate, which is like our sort of drag competition thing that's not really a competition it's just a celebration which is a queer beauty pageant reappropriating the uh, Miss Margate competitions of yesteryear which are those really misogynistic competitions where they used to judge women's legs and put bags on their heads and stuff so weird 
So we've got like this really nice mixture of, which is all family friendly, by the way. And then we have our parade. So we have this really nice structure to our day where the families come and we usually know that they leave to go and have lunch. So then we have the kind of, maybe it gets a bit racier, but of course your kids are still welcome. There'll be a drag queen in a silly costume. Let's go for it. And none of that would I be uncomfortable with my child being a part of. Like it's it's wild to me that, but I often, I mean, I will tell you, I have felt, I don't think we've had any negative feedback in Margate. So I do think when people are given the opportunity to be kind and accepting, they just they just are. Like yeah. we actually, as naturally as humans, we just go, oh, okay, cool. It's when other people tell us how to think that the problem occurs. Yes. And then, you know, this peer pressure or like this, oh, having to be, oh, yeah, the man in the pub said this, so now I believe that. Like all of that stuff. Once you unpick it, which we learnt through the club scene, you often, once people are a bit drunk, people usually go, they shake off all of those sort of intolerances and then go, oh, actually, God, look how much, look how much freedom's on that stage. Like people, it's so inspiring. Don't you find that it's a projection of fear and weakness and, and you look at those people that are so angry and so disgusted and they're people that have no clue who they are and so they're threatened yeah. by the journey of a drag queen yeah. who has taken a long road of self-acceptance and self-worth and normally Such loves who they are. Yeah. So if anything, they're, they're, they're projecting that this is someone that's weak and perverted and it's actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's you. It's the opposite. It's Look right at Jazz Baz Yeah. Like we've got examples like Jazz Baz Maz from Sink the Pink who now does this beautiful drag energy workshops. We did it with at Hoopla with lots of young people and it was the most beautiful thing to witness they couldn't be stronger in who they are. Like you could, actually, I can't think of a better person to be yeah. working with young people because they're, they're saying, you be you. Like that is such a beautiful message. And unfortunately, there's lots of adults in the world that, that don't know who they are and that are being led and that are full of fear. But I have this weird ability to just ignore it all <laughs> and know it's there. But like I focus so much, I'm such an over-optimist, but I do focus so much on the good and I really think that keeping on putting out positive messaging will just quieten those voices because it's not everyone. And then we do see these newspaper articles popping up and these stories shared and you, it can be disheartening. But, you know, on the flip of that, we were coming along on a on a parade one year with Margate Pride. I had Raph on my tick because he'd had the shits. It was a crazy day. And... There was a man up ahead and I thought, oh God, does he want to beat up loads of gays? Because he, like, if I'm honest, based on the unfortunate situations where sometimes these things do happen, I was like, like levelling myself to protect my people. We get closer and he's got his chest out and I'm thinking, oh God. And his t-shirt says, I'm proud of my gay son. And he wanted to hold his chest out to show us his t-shirt. He stood there alone. His son wasn't even there, but he wanted all of the LGBTQ plus people and allies to see that he was with us and he was proud of his gay son. And he stood there in the only way he knew how, which actually ended up looking, got this quite aggressive stance. And it, do you know what it did? It, it shattered all of my, is heterophobia a word? You know, like fears and made me love him. I waved and loved him from my float because I, well, I had a kid on my tit and I was trying to do everything, but I was like, you beautiful human. And the, our pride gave him a place to come out and wear that t-shirt so as much as we will hear these stories, they're a load of old and they will not be listened to. And the long, the long run is we know our agenda. 
There's such strength in numbers. And also smile at the hater, focus on the fans. Because the fans of what we do and the the humans around what we do are the point of it. If there's if there's 15, 20,000 people at our parade on Saturday, of course that's who I'm focusing on. If you know, if one person complained that we had a drag queen doing something that children were involved with, I'd say, I send you so much love, darling. I send you peace and love, but you don't have to come. You know, is what I would say to them. Which, you know, we've had scenarios like that, haven't we? Remember the one where I jumped off stage at yeah. Pink? <laughs> sort of oh, talk yeah. someone through their homophobia. Well, you are you are a brilliant pacifier, I think, in that you literally, um, you never give back what they're wanting from you. I think that's an amazing skill, an amazing ability. Listen, we're, we're, I just, I just want to know, obviously, Margate Pride is this Saturday. It yep. is a, a transformative experience. It's completely grassroots um, and wonderful, and I can't wait for it. But what's, just to, to sign off, what and where do you see Margate Pride being in five and ten years? Well, what I've realised with the things that you and me do is they accidentally ripple and get huge. <laughs> yeah. So something that started as a small grassroots pride is now, you know, on the map. We're heading to be as big as Brighton. And and as much as that slightly scares me, it also really excites me. So it might look like a festival in a park. It might look like putting a campsite into a school playground. Like I'm looking at ways to upscale it because there's just not enough beds. So so many people want to come here now and it's like, how do you keep the magic how do I keep funding it? How do I pay queer people to make this a reality and a job so that actually we are we can year round make this work happen? We do work in schools, in youth groups, in care homes. We are not resting. The message of pride is so necessary um, that it's I see it growing <laughs> hugely but beautifully. And I'm so proud and honoured to be at the helm of that as Mother Pride perfectly said what a joyful conversation i love you so much i love you (laughs) 